Welcome to Becoming Whole, a weekly show designed for men, women, and families seeking to draw nearer to Jesus as they navigate topics like sexual integrity, relational healing, spiritual health, and so much more. If you long for more of Jesus in these sensitive and important areas of life, join us on the journey towards becoming whole. I was having a conversation with uh, a friend recently and just kind of checking in about his life. And when I asked him how he was, his response was, I'm not doing well. I was like, oh, well, you know, what's going on? And he proceeded to tell me about how in this most recent season of his life, he's, he'd been acting out sexually. And as I listened to him, I was kind of struck with uh, this reality that he was making a connection between how he was and his recent sexual sin. And how he was, was seemed to be all wrapped up in how well he was doing in regards to sexual integrity. So in other words, if he had been doing well, he was doing well. If he'd been doing poorly in the realm of sexual integrity, then he was doing poorly. And we want to talk about that. So I'm joined today by Dan Kiefer. Dan does coaching with our men here at Regen. Dan, what do you hear when I, when I introduce it that way? What, what comes to your mind? What's the problem with, with what, what I was hearing in this, this friend? Yeah. So what, even before paying attention to what I'm hearing, there's something I'm feeling because when I hear an individual lead off that way, there's something in my heart that becomes heavy for the individual. And because what I'm hearing is that the individual is measuring where he is in life in that moment based on behavior. And, and I, one of the, one of the thoughts that I've had um, for myself, and I've shared this with others in coaching work is if I define myself at any given moment, I could either be doing the most, uh, living the most amazing, incredible life for God, or I could be, as Paul says, the chief of all sinners. So I really need to be careful to about, uh, about determining who I am or how I'm doing based on any given moment and the behavior in any given moment. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you're cutting right into how like that reality that, that if we equate ourselves with our behavior, uh, then we're, we're already off, whether we're doing well, we feel good about ourselves or we're doing poorly and feel badly about ourselves, which is really hard to do. I mean, honestly, like, and I, I know it's not just true in the sexual arena. Uh, it can be true in a lot of areas of life. You know, I, a friend who lost his job not long ago, um, somebody else whose kids aren't doing well, it can be really hard to not kind of equate that this means something about me as a person. Um, and, but in the, in the sexual realm, I think even more so there's something intrinsic about sexuality that are, I mean, it's almost like there's something in us in our psyche that kind of knows there's a, there's a deeper connection, a deeper root in the realm of sexuality. Uh, so it can, it can be tricky there when we're, when we're not doing well, or when we are doing well to kind of not rope that into, to our identity. So, uh, yeah, so go on. You, you said, you know, you started there, but talk a little bit more about what you hear, what else is going on there for this guy? Why is this a, why is this a negative, uh, for a guy who wants to walk in sexual integrity or a man or woman who wants to walk in sexual integrity? Right. So it could be the, the kind of thing that it reinforces the shame that was already being felt. And so shame piled on top of shame has a way of just exacerbating our own self-loathing and how we may see ourselves before God. 
And then also it impacts our relationships with others. It, it's interesting in, in some conversations, and, and I've had this awareness in my own life with sin, is that when sin is present, or even when it's being confessed, there can still be this time of feeling this clutteredness. And um, and it, I talk about being like a mental clutteredness, like an inability to be attentive to oneself, to be attentive to God, and to be attentive to family. If a person is married, has a spouse, children, uh, possibly engaged with work, there's just this overall clutteredness. So it's not just a sense of, um, I I feel worthless before God, or I have these very dark feelings in terms of how I'm identi- identifying myself or what I'm believing, but it actually creates this clutter in relationship with others. The sexual sin does. Sexual sin or sin as a whole as well. So yeah, putting it in, in, in the bigger category that way. Um, yeah. It has, it, it just clutter or the other, the other way that I think about it is um, like in Peanuts cartoon, there's the one character named Pigpen who, when he walks around, there's always this dirt following him wherever he goes. Um, now, the, kind of the way that I can conceive of that is it's not dirt following a person around, but it's like this fog, this fog that hangs over a person. So it makes it so difficult to see with clarity and to see color. And is that this, that's shame you're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back to that because you, you start off by saying, you know, kind of this, it's the shame cycle. You didn't use that word, but you know, I feel shame. And so I act out sexually and that makes me feel ashamed. Uh, so a couple things about that. One is just to clarify for people listening, shame is different than guilt. So you can do something and you can be absolutely guilty, but that does not equal the same as shame. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is there's something about me that is wrong. Uh, sin, sin is, or guilt is, uh, I sinned. Uh, shame is, um, I am evil. And, and, and those are, there's a big difference between those two in, in how it impacts us psychologically, how it impacts us relationally, how it impacts our own sense of ourselves and a sense of what we're made for. If I believe that I am a, a, a perverse person, then what is natural to me? What is the, what is the normal flow of my life? What's the, what's the, the grain on the wood of who I am? Well, it's, it's to act perversely. It's to engage in sexual illicit behavior. If I believe on the other hand that I'm made for sexual integrity and that's at the core of who I am, that I'm made for love and I'm made for honor and I'm made to see other people as people to treat them with dignity and honor and love. If I believe that's the natural grain in my life, then I'm more likely than to act that way. And, and that's, that's, that to me is, is a big reason why the whole shame thing is so, so destructive for us as we're trying to walk in freedom from, uh, from sin and from, from sexual sin, especially. Yeah. I, I recently heard uh, someone had shared a, a YouTube video with me and there was a, a Christian therapist was interviewed, was a part of the, the, the YouTube uh, production. And he talked about shame as an acronym and it was self-hatred at my expense. So it's self-hatred yeah. at my expense. And that, and so if there's self-hatred present, if an individual is living in a posture of self-hatred, that individual is not going to be able to receive love from God, receive love from family or friends, and definitely not have any sense of love for themselves. 
Right. And so it's that, that piece of being able to shift it around from this posture of self-hatred to being able to say, okay, yes, I struggle with this behavior or I've sinned, but what's God's posture towards me? Is his posture one of, of, of hatred, disgust, contempt, or is he the, is he the father who pursues and runs towards the, the son, the prodigal son who's returning home? I, th- and I think I think this piece is is one that in my own journey away from compulsive sexual sin behaviors was a game changer for me, and it was really hard too because, uh, like, it, it felt when I was in a pattern and had and had fallen for the millionth time, even though I promised you know a million times that I wouldn't do this anymore, and here I am doing it again. It felt like the response I should give myself is beat myself up treat myself badly, talk about myself badly, pray about myself badly, expect a backhand from God, expect his condemnation, expect him to pull away from me. That's what I felt like I deserved. It's like what I felt like I was. And in a legal sense, it, it may have been what I deserved, but on a relational sense in, in, in kind of my own self-identity in my own sense and in, in the reality of who God has made me to be as, as his son and as, as somebody who's redeemed by the gospel of Christ, that's all changed now. Uh, and that, and that was a, that was probably the harder step of faith for me was to actually, when I least felt like it to stand up into God's grace, to stand up into that, that place of a son who is dearly beloved by a God who sees me not as, not as my sin, but as his son, as someone who is honorable and loving. That was a huge huge um maybe i should say it this way really difficult terrain to walk sure. across in those moments when i felt so different from from yeah. what i was being asked to believe about who god had made me to be so so josh if i was if you and i were working together and we're we we, we work together so uh yeah i'm not coaching you uh but it's if, if if you were to have been saying those kinds of things to me about how you're perceiving yourself and this idea that i need to pay for what i did I would, um, and I've done this with others, in a gentle way say, so are you telling me that Christ's death on the cross wasn't sufficient for what you've done? Right. Or do you feel like you have the need to crawl up on the cross for some reason? And not trying to be sarcastic or unkind, but just it's a way of reframing it, bringing us back to the reality that, wait a minute, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for this sin as well. So for me to carry it, for me to, to think that I need to pay in some way, is just not, it's not accurate. And I, I got to wonder if that doesn't break the heart of our father when he sees us in that moment, refusing in a way, refusing the gift of forgiveness that's already been given. And it's a sense in that moment, we're choosing and saying a choice of our own will to lay down that gift and say, okay, but that gift isn't sufficient for this moment. You know, I love that, Dan. What it makes me remember, I remember times with my um, having conversations, even with my earthly dad, who, uh, before he knew anything about sexual sin in my life, would say things like, you know, you're so hard on yourself. And I remember at one point Mm -hmm. saying to him, well, I would rather be hard on myself now and find that God is more patient or gracious than me later than to be soft and gracious myself now and find that God's going to be hard on me later. What I didn't realize as I held that view as I kind of walked with that posture 
that felt like a humble way to walk. But what I didn't realize was in essence, what I was doing was exactly what you just said. I was saying to God, I'm not going to receive the gift that you're giving. Uh, and, and I think what I didn't understand about God at that point, not that he wasn't gracious and understanding, even with my, my ignorance, my, what I was trying to do, he was, he was very gracious. But I think what I didn't realize about God was that our, God doesn't force his mercy upon us. He doesn't force his grace upon us. He doesn't force adoption on us. He doesn't force a new identity upon us. He gives, he is, he is gracious to give. Um, he doesn't even force his, his, the truth of himself upon us. Um, I mean, uh, we, we do have a choice to believe the good news or to say no to it. We have a, the choice to believe we are forgiven and to receive. And what I mean by believe in that sentence is to receive it, to open up and say, God, I know I don't deserve it, but I, I want it. And so I say yes to your gift. We also have the option through our, our attitudes, our beliefs, our fear to say, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'd rather beat myself up. I think this is a better path. I think, I think me climbing up on the cross is a more hopeful path than receiving Christ's death on the cross for me. Um, we may not think that that's what we're saying, but I think we can. I think that's what I said for years. I think it's what other people can end up saying. And I think it's even when I was referring back to this friend at the beginning, I think in their ways, that's, that's what he's, he, he may be doing. I'm not hundred percent sure, but he may be doing some of that in his own kind of, you know, equating, I had a bad week because I sin sexually. And that's the only thing, you know, that's the one factor that, uh, that defines this for me. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And so one of the things I long for an individual such as the one you're referring to is the individual to say, yes, I behaved in this way. Yes, I sinned. And here's what I realized was actually going on. The, the, the behavior was the tip of the iceberg. But when I look below that, I see that I felt there were times I felt insignificant. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. Um, I reached out to someone and they never reached back. Um, I experienced fear. Um, or even I had this amazing, amazing worship experience. And I've come to learn that in an amazing time of worship, there's a vulnerability that comes with that. And with that vulnerability also comes the susceptibility to sin. And it, it would almost seem like so almost seemed crazy that the two could go together and yet I've seen that time and time again in people I work with. I've seen it in, in some struggles in my own life where it's this worship encounter that is like, wow, God, I couldn't feel any closer to you. And then why am I then struggling with significant anger or some other manifestation of sin shortly after that or even the next day? Um, so being able to see something bigger than just the behavior, because I think actually I think actually that's what the evil one would like us to focus on because if he gets us focused on the behavior and the self-loathing that can come with that, he's got us in the crosshairs and we're not living and walking in the love and the freedom that comes in a relationship with our heavenly father. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think what I, the other thing I hear you saying in that, Dan, is that the behavior that we're, the, the parts of the behavior we're focusing on aren't the full story either. Correct. I think as, as Jay Stringer points out in, in his book, Unwanted, that there is, there is an honesty to some of our behavior that we actually need because it's, it's one place where we're letting out some of the truth. And so the example you just gave of, you know, I, 
I think it's a great example. You know, I was, I had this beautiful worship experience, this mountaintop experience of this retreat I was on. And, and within the next couple of days I'd acted out sexually and we take that to a place or the enemy takes that to a place of like, what must that mean about who I am? I am so wretched. God gave me such a great experience and this is where I ended up. And what you just did with that was to say you had a vulnerable, a beautifully vulnerable and wonderful experience on the mountaintop in worship. And and you're you're acting out, although certainly not a right or a good thing to do, reveals that you were vulnerable, that you were open, you opened your heart in a way that was unusual and that was maybe even uncomfortable for you there. And so the enemy wants to kind of focus in on the one bad thing to equate it to, you know, the wretch that you are, as opposed to focusing on that on the the honesty that can be in some of our acting out behavior that reveals something really good and desirous in there, something, um, something true and beautiful, even in the midst of that. Um, am I right? You're- Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and you, you were getting into it as well, talking about, you know, what, what's going on behind it. And, and I love that posture of curiosity. And that's really something that, again, coming out of Jay Stringer's work that I have introduced in my work with men is, is having them say, you know, let's get curious about why it happened instead of the self-accusation, the self-contempt and self-loathing and shame. Let's say, all right, God, what, what is it you want to show me? You know, what, what more is this about? And, um, and this may seem like a pretty radical statement here, but guys that seem to continue to struggle that want to be in this posture of surrender. So even in the midst of temptation, you're saying, God, I want to surrender this to you. I want to surrender this to you. And, and then they, they follow through with the behavior. And I've said to them, what if, what if God at this moment is not as concerned about your behavior as he is what's lying behind that? And is it possible? And this is totally radical, <laughs> this thought, I think. But is God... Um, is this behavior nonsense, not, not that God is permitting it or blessing it, but allowing it to be there for the purpose of excavating something deeper in your life? Because when you get to that something deeper, the behavior is, is going to be long gone. Yeah. So I've heard Christopher West, I don't know if this came from him or not, but he's, his, his ex- expression, the devil doesn't have his own clay. Yeah, I think part of what we're getting after here is is this that when we've sinned sexually, what's the clay that the enemy has twisted? What's the clay that the enemy has distorted into something else? Um, and you could say it in a very generic kind of you know broad view sense. Well, the the clay is sexuality, or the clay is is desire. But part of what we're getting after here is: it, are there places in our lives that the that the Lord loves and blesses? So, an example that we gave a minute ago the vulnerability in worship and your heart and desire to be vulnerable and to be safe, to be vulnerable and to be loved, to have your heart opened and to be in a place that is, that is loved and you are transparent. That that's the clay and, and the enemy sin uh, temptation wants to take that and twist it and turn that vulnerability into something. Well, the only place I can be vulnerable, the only place I can be open, the only place I can let myself go, the only place I can be myself is in sexual sin. That's my, in that secret place. I can't really do that with real other people and I can't do it long time with God or long-term with God. 
And might it be that the, the Lord lets that sin persist? And this is the scandalous thought you were just saying, lets that sin persist because his desire to for that vulnerable heart to be opened up and to redeem that vulnerable heart is greater than his, than his desire just to see you not sin. Like if the, if the choice is the father cuts off the vulnerable heart, you know, caps it, stuffs it, buries it so that you never sin anymore, as opposed to, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the freedom to choose how you deal with this vulnerable heart. And it may lead you to sin because I love the vulnerable heart. I want to redeem it. I want to mm. call it out. I want to oh, make yeah. it stronger, yeah. not, yeah. not crush it. Um, yeah. So maybe an application point even there for our listeners is if you find yourself wrestling with ongoing sexual sin, if you find yourself wrestling with ongoing um, self-reproach, self-hatred, shame around behavior in your life, what's the clay? What's the gold? What is, what's in there that the, that the father loves so much that he doesn't just, you know, chop that branch off? Jesus was clear in, in John, like any, any branch that doesn't bear fruit, the enemy's going to, or the, I mean, not the enemy, any branch that doesn't fr- bear fruit, the father's going to come and prune it. He's going to, he's going to cut that branch off. And so if there's a branch that's, that you see as not bearing good fruit in your life, that's still there, what's the good fruit? What's, what's there that the Lord is preserving and waiting and being patient around because he wants it to bear more good fruit. Um, and that is scandalous. I mean, there, there's, even as I say it, I'm like, Whoa, that's risky. Yeah. But I think, yeah. I think part of what we're getting after here is that um, the identity that God has given us is so thorough, is so deep, is so real, uh, that it is, it is worth an immense amount to him. And I don't think we need to know, go any further than the cross of Jesus to see just how, how worthwhile we, in, in our fullness, are to him. And, it's, and that cross is that picture of God is through Jesus on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. And to make it even more personal, Heavenly Father God, through the death of Jesus on the cross, you were reconciling me to you. Mm-hmm. You were restoring a relationship that had been broken. And, and where I feel the invitation there is in that place that I can only right now feel so much self-hatred about there's something in there that you have, that you are reconciling to yourself that you're inviting reconciliation with yourself around. Um, And I mean, I can think about areas of my life today where I wrestle with temper or workaholism or busyness or drivenness. And I just hate what those places do to me, but I can hear that invitation, what you're saying, Dan, father, like, those are parts of me that you've, you've reconciled to yourself. Like let those parts come to me. And for those listening who wrestle with sexual sin, instead of turning hatred inward at yourself, can you be curious and bring those parts of you back to the loving arms of, of the father and say, Lord, reconcile these parts to yourself. What's, what have you reconciled to yourself here? What, what are you reconciling? What is here? Um, I may only be able to see negative stuff, but I want to see the good. It's here. So what do we do with that? How do we, how do we wrap this up? What's the, what's a, um, what's the true truth that we, that we want to kind of end with, or, or maybe, maybe an, an easier way to say it, Dan is as we wrap this podcast up, what's one thing that, that just stands out to you as, you know, if people are listening today, one thing I'd hope they'd get before we wrap up is, and then maybe I'll share a thought as well. Mm. I think 
I think the big thing is you are not your behavior. You are not your behavior, even on your, on your worst day and on your best day. On your worst day, on your best day, you're loved. And the behavior is not the measure of who you are as an individual. Yeah. 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 I, I'd echo that. You're, of course, our behavior, good or bad, has consequences. It has, sure. Yes. It, yeah. You know, it impacts our life. It impacts other people's lives. Um, and I'd say that, you know, the, the root away from destructive behavior is not to be destructive towards yourself because uh, we, rather than being destruct, letting the, beha- the destructive behavior destroy who you are, uh, let Christ redeem who you are and love who you are, that the destructive behavior would diminish. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Dan. Really appreciate it. And there's so much more that we, that that's worth saying about who Jesus is in this and, uh, and, and, and how he interacts with those who are in this place of, of struggle. Um, and maybe we'll just have to leave that for another time, but bless you, brother. Really appreciate this prayer. Let me, let me, um, let me close, uh, close this in, in a word of prayer. So Lord, for, for all those listening and for Dan and for me, Lord, you know, the places in our lives that, that we struggle and Lord, we've struggled along with these places and it's hard not to, not to feel shame about it. It's hard, especially when you've hurt other people or not to feel ashamed not to feel like we want to just kind of turn that shame and anger inward. Lord, we pray that you would, um, we bring instead today, Lord, we bring those places to you. We bring those places to you. And we ask, Lord, um, reconcile us to you, the fullness of who we are to you. And Lord, any place that we have tried to bury because we thought it was all bad, any clay that the enemy has twisted, Lord, we pray that rather that you would untwist and raise it up to new life and make it better and stronger, that we might live fully and wholly as yours, people of honor, people of love, people of goodwill. Lord, we ask this for our sake, for the sake of our loved ones, sake of the world. And we ask it for your glory, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Becoming Whole. Becoming Whole is an audio ministry of RegenerationMinistries.org. If you would like more information on Becoming Whole, Regeneration Ministries hosts a variety of articles, podcasts, programs, and events to support you on your journey. Until next time, God bless.